Kathy Milligan, Elizabeth Critchley, Eva Morse, Ellen Freed, Linda Moore, Bernice Cordemash, and Barbara Agnew. They're one of the main reasons why I'm doing Invisible Tears too. I'm trying to be their voice. They were brutally murdered, brutally stabbed, and their families need answers and they need justice. This is a classic, and I don't mean as in old and done ages ago, it's a new classic episode of On the Edge with Andrew Gold. And it's with Jane Borowski, who is a survivor of an attack by an American serial killer responsible for a series of stabbing murders, mostly in and around Claremont, New Hampshire, and the Connecticut River Valley. So th- this person was known as the Connecticut River Valley murderer uh, from the 1980s, mostly. And what is truly remarkable about this story is that Jane, who you're going to hear from, uh, survived being stabbed multiple times. So she has quite a unique perspective uh, that that most of us will never ever feel or understand, and that's what I want to get into with her. Uh, what it what it is to be attacked in that way, what it is to be the only survivor of this serial killer. So how she feels about those who who didn't make it out. Even more remarkably, Jane was seven months pregnant at the time of the attack. So it's just the most remarkable story. And I say this is a classic episode because this is the kind of thing that I was doing a little bit more towards the beginning of this podcast. On the edge is, well, it's a fairly vague, all-encompassing term, just sort of edgy, fringe stuff out there stuff. But really, I want to be taking you into the minds of people who have had a really rare and unique experience that we can sort of... Uh, experience from far enough, you know, safety, but also curiosity and and learning about uh, other people and their and their lives. So it's I loved talking to Jane. And if you want to hear more, you want to get more into the facts around the cases and this serial killer. Look up her Invisible Tears podcast. It's available on YouTube as well, but also all the audio podcast places. And she goes into. Uh, in each episode, um, the different murders and who he might be because he was never caught. But uh, yeah, I hope you find this one interesting and that it gives you a new perspective on life in some way. Uh, And I guess just think about how lucky you are every breath that you take. Some big episodes coming up. I know I always say that because there always are big episodes coming up. It's Helen Lewis next talking about the gurus of the internet. So Jordan Peterson and Russell Brand and people like that. And then I talk to God this Saturday episode coming out. This is uh, somebody who's made an internet profile of themselves as God. And we have a fascinating chat about uh, free speech and online arguments and all these kinds of things now that's coming out on the 4th of february it's the first of uh, in my saturday episodes on february and it's the last one that's going to come out after that it's switching all to patreon and as of the 1st of February, the Patreon is going up. So if you want to get in there first, if you want to get in there early at the current price and lock it in, just get in there before the 1st of February, patreon.com slash Gold, and then you get all the Saturday episodes, uh, all the bonus stuff, and there'll be extra bits and pieces, as well as the ad-free episodes, uh, the normal ones on Monday and Thursday that everybody uh, gets, but with ads normally. So get in there, patreon.com slash Gold before the 1st of February for that to lock in that price. It's, you know, and then afterwards, still sign up anyway if you want to support the podcast. But now you're on the edge of surviving the Connecticut River Valley killer with Jane Borowski.
Jane, who was the Connecticut River Valley killer? I have no idea. <laughs> it's unsolved. It's a mystery. Uh, nobody's been arrested and nobody knows. Or somebody knows, but they don't want to tell. And that was now a few decades back, so maybe nobody knows. 34 years ago. It could be that nobody knows now. So they went about on a, on a string of uh, murders, I believe. What, what was the sort of connecting theme? How, did, how was it pieced together that it was uh, the same person? Uh, well, one was the area where the bodies were found and where um, the woman went missing. Um, that was a general area of like Claremont, New Hampshire, Unity, New Hampshire, uh, and along the, the Connecticut River Valley, which spans between um, New Hampshire and Vermont. Um, there's a highway that goes north to south. And uh, so most of them went missing along there. Um, and then their bodies were found pretty, pretty close uh, pretty close to that off the highway and they were all stabbed um, they were women they were uh, uh, all alone um, so yeah there was there was a lot of common denominators like um, Elizabeth Critchley and Eva Morse their bodies were found 500 feet apart from each other but five years apart. So he had dumped Elizabeth Critchley's body in unity. And then 500, five years later, 500 feet from where Elizabeth Critchley's body was found, Eva Morse's body was found. So there's definitely a connection there. And it was always, um, it was always stabbing. That was what, that was like his, his modus operandi. Yeah. Yeah. His, uh, yeah, yeah, they were all um, stabbed stab victims. Some of them were strangled also, so. And so uh, people, were people on the lookout um, for some time? Because I know when you were attacked, I, I think you hadn't heard of him. No, I, um, I was only 22. And you got to think, back then, it was in 1988, there wasn't social media, there wasn't internet, there wasn't cell phones, there wasn't Facebook, you know, there wasn't any of that, uh, um, you know, the internet outlet. So I, I didn't hear anything about, I didn't know there was a serial killer, you know, running, running around in New Hampshire. I had no idea. So, um, when I read it in the paper, I was pretty shocked. What kind of area is the... So Connecticut River Valley, it's like, what is this? It's like a, it's just an area like with several towns? Yeah, a of lot thing. of small towns right off the main highway. Um, there's, uh, you know, very small communities. Um, and there's, there's like, it, it, it's, it splits between the state of Vermont and the state of New Hampshire. And it goes from like uh, the the mass border or the Connecticut border all the way up to the the Canadian border. Yeah, and they're all small communities, like the community I was um, attacked and stabbed in. It was a very very small community. There was virtually no major crime in in that town uh, when I was attacked. 
And yeah, and we should we should get on to your story. I just didn't want to start with it because it just feels like going in like bam, you know. But uh, this was the summer of 1988. You were 22 years old. You were seven months pregnant. What do you remember about that night? Uh, everything. <laughs> um, I know it was very hot and humid that night. It was in the summer. It was August 6th. Uh, I had just left a fair, headed home. Um, it was super hot, super humid. Uh, I was thirsty. Um, decided to stop at the store that was closed, but they had soda vending machines outside. So I stopped there to um, get a soda. Pulled right up in front of the soda machine, got out, and uh, got a soda and got back in my car. And uh, that's when a vehicle came in. Um, pulled in right beside me in this parking spot beside me on my passenger side of the car. And um, I didn't think anything of it. I thought we're sitting in front of a soda machine and we're sitting in front of a payphone. So I thought maybe he was there to use one or the other. Um, then the next thing, I, I, you know, I was sitting there sipping my soda, getting ready to head home. And uh, the next thing I know, I see him walking around the backside of my car. And I was like, oh, that's weird. But I didn't think much of it. And he came up to the side, up to my car door, my driver's side door. And as he said it, he opened my door. He opened my door and said, is the, pay fo is the payphone working? And, uh, and then he tried to pull me out of the car. And I just immediately started screaming. Um, I was trying to kick him off me. He was trying to grab me and get me out of the car. And I was kicking him. And, and there was quite the struggle in the car. Um, I, I, I somehow got my foot up high enough to kick him. And I ended up kicking the windshield my windshield and shattering my windshield. And um, I was also seven months pregnant. So, um, you know, I was, I was telling him, you know, I'm, I'm pregnant, please don't hurt me. And he just, he was determined that he wanted me to get out of the car and wanted me to go with him. So um, next thing I know, he, he took a knife out, out of the, his back pocket. And he said, well, maybe this will persist maybe this will persuade you to get out of the car, which it did, uh, very much so. So we got out of the car, and, um, you know, I was kind of confused. I really didn't know what this guy wanted or what he was going to do or why. I, I was just really scared but yet confused. And then he started, like, I, I was like, what do you want? You know, we're standing by the car door, my car door shut, and we're standing up over by the, by the car, by the car door. And um, he had the knife up against my neck, and he was like, you beat up my girlfriend. And I was like, I didn't beat up anybody's girlfriend. You know, I'm seven months pregnant, I, I didn't beat up anybody's girlfriend. And then he kind of walked away from me and he was like, well, isn't this a Massachusetts car? And I was like, no, my car has New Hampshire plates. So 
he like walked to the back of my car and I'm then I'm thinking, all right, this guy is really, you know, he's confused. He's confusing me with somebody else. Um, you know, so at that point I really wasn't scared. I was just like, I don't know what this guy wants, but you know, I, I was more confused, <laughs> especially by some of the things that he was saying. So I, um, I, uh, he started walking back to his vehicle and, um, then I kind of got pissed off and I was like, um, what about my windshield asshole? Because I had a smashed windshield and he's going to just leave. And, uh, I regret those words for the rest of my life. Cause that's when he turned around and came back and, um, put the knife back up against my neck. Now, a lot of people judge me and judge some of the things that I did and said, but you got to understand when he was walking away, I didn't feel threatened by him. I wasn't scared. I was like, he was just like confused about who I was and, and whatever. But a lot of people judge me for not just jumping in my car and leaving. And, um, who judges yeah, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people on social media, a lot of, I've gotten letters in the mail and, you know, I hear people talk and stuff. And well, idiots. It's like, yeah, it's, you know, they, they weren't there. They well, it's, don't it's, know. it's that thing as well. You know, um, it's like when you're watching a, a horror film in, in the, on, in the cinema and you're saying, get out of that house. Why don't you know? But it's like those people in the, yeah. in the movie, they don't know they're in a movie. You don't often expect to be confronted by a serial killer. Like you, you just think, oh, some guy's caused a big kerfuffle in my car. He smashed my car up. He's walked off. What? He's just going to not pay for this now. He's just not going to apologize. Uh, and we've all had those kinds of things. I've had those kinds of things where um, people have done things. I had a thing and it's, it's obviously um, not, not the same as what happened to you, but I was in the airport and someone took my bag and drove home with it and we had to get the airport to call them and stuff like that. And then he came back like an hour later, so we had to wait for an hour, and he gave me my bag then and just walked off. And he didn't say sorry for making me wait an hour because he'd taken my bag. I didn't mind, you know, it wasn't on purpose. So then I did this, I said like, are you going to say sorry? I did exactly that thing. And had he been a serial killer, do you know what I mean? Like, but you don't expect them to be that. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so ugh, I know you regret those words, but I don't, I really hope you don't blame yourself because that's insane. And, and people, people are insane. For I don't feel anymore. That way. Good. No, I don't anymore. You know, I, 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 I had to do a lot of therapy for it. And, uh, and I don't anymore. Nope. Um, it was a situation that I had no control over. And there was, there's no way I could change what happened today. So, but, um, yeah, he came back to me and, and put the knife up against my neck. And, uh, I saw a vehicle coming down the road and I was like, Okay, 
the only way I'm going to get myself out of this situation is to run as fast as I can to the road and yell and try to get that vehicle's attention. So I did. Um, I saw the vehicle start driving by and I just bolted for the road and the vehicle just drove right by and never stopped. And he just tackled me down like a football player. Um, we ended up on the ground. I was on my back. And the next thing I know, he was on top of me and just stabbing me. Um, he, he just, he just kept stabbing me. I, I couldn't believe that this was happening to me. I was like, oh my God. And it was, it, it was almost like a out of body experience. Like he was stabbing and stabbing and stabbing and not stopping. But then all of a sudden it just stopped and he was just, he just got up and just so calm and calmly walked away. And I could hear his footsteps across the parking lot. I could hear him walking away and I'm thinking to myself, okay, where is he? What is he going to do now? Is he leaving? And, um, I somehow rolled myself over and got up on my hands and knees to get up. And, and I knew I needed to get help by that time because I can just hear the blood gushing out of me. I can just, I, I can feel myself getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And the next thing I know, he's, I hear the vehicle start and I'm trying to look around to see where he is. And he just slowly drove right by my head and looked right down at me as I looked up at him. And he just slowly drove away. And um, so I eventually got up on, my he up on my feet and got to my car. And I finally got into my car and I, I knew I had to get help. And a good friend of mine lived about two miles down the road. So I got in my car and I started driving down the road. And the next thing I know is I'm right behind him. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm right behind him. He's going to see where I pull in. Um, you know, I, I was just terrified. I was like, he's going to know where I am. And... uh I quickly, I got up to my friend's house and I, I pulled in the doorway and he went straight and um, my friend called for help and and he, the, the, the guy, the monster that attacked me, he ended up turning around and coming back in front of the house. We could hear him squeal his tires to a stop and then he took off and um, and then rescue came. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. 
To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash heretics and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn.com slash heretics to learn more. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on what could go right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. This is this is this is there's so much to unpack here. I mean, obviously, firstly, I, I know this was some time ago, but I, I'm so sorry you went through that, Jane. Nobody should have to ever. I can't even imagine it. Did did you did you think when when he when he was? Did, do you remember any concrete thoughts during the attack where you thought I'm I'm this is the end for me? Oh yeah, I definitely thought I was going to die, but as he was stabbing me. What also was going through my mind is I had to protect my baby. So I have a lot of defensive wounds on my hands. Um, you know, I ended up being stabbed 27 times. He cut my juggler on my neck. Um, he, I had two collapsed lungs. He cut my tendon in my knee, cut my tendon in my thumb. Um, I did have a, a lacerated piece of my liver removed. Um, so, I mean, miraculously, with me protecting my baby and with all the defensive wounds on my hands, um, my baby survived. That's um, extraordinary. I ended, up, I ended up carrying her for another two months, which is um, absolutely amazing. You know, I feel like a lot of times I feel like if I wasn't pregnant, I probably would have never survived. Um, wow. I think she wanted to live so much that I wanted her to live so much. Um, we 
she just had, you know, this strong will and, and gave me the strong will to survive. Mm. For, for, forgive me for asking this, and if it's too much, then, you know, you just say we move on to the next thing. It's just it's such a unique position to have been stabbed, particularly so many times. Do you have a memory as as to how how it feels, or is is there just adrenaline taking over at that point? Honestly, I don't. I mean, it's been thirty four years, and I don't remember the pain from the the stabbing. I do remember hearing. I mean, as he was stabbing me, I I can remember hearing the flesh every time the knife went into me. I and he pulled out. I can remember hearing flesh and I can remember hearing the blood gush anatomy. Um, but at the time of the stabbing, it was just like, it was almost like it happened so fast. And I know people are thinking, well, that was 27 stab wounds. How fast could that happen? Well, when you don't expect it and you're being stabbed repeatedly, it goes by fast. And you're just trying to, your, your mind is trying to comprehend exactly what is going on. And, and it took me a, a, a few minutes to actually comprehend that this guy was stabbing me several times. So, you know, it, it was, um, I don't remember a lot of pain at that time, I think it was adrenaline. I think my, my body definitely went into shock. And, and um, you know, I just knew I had to get help afterwards. That was my big thing going through my mind was, Jane, you need to get help. And um, that's what I tried to do. And then, and then when you were accidentally, inadvertently following him in the car, did he? Could you see that he could see you? Were there sign? Was he looking in the 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 mirror? I couldn't. It was at night, so yeah, it was it was like eleven, eleven ish, eleven thirty ish at night. So I really, I mean, I really couldn't tell. I mean, my body went into shock, and all I was focusing on was getting to my friend's house. But yeah, I was terrified that he was going to see where I pulled in. So it's like it kind of st- sucks because I didn't even, I didn't even think of looking at his license plate. No, well, and, in those um, moments you, you can't think like that. Yeah, you know, just, well, I can't imagine the but stress. I you tell you what, mm. <laughs> I look at license plates all the time now. <laughs> oh, it's bet. like uh, crazy, yeah. but um, yeah, I wish I did, but um, I was hypnotized after, and um and was able to get a partial plate, but nothing ever really came about with it. That's mm-hmm. interesting that the hypno- hypnosis as a way to recover memories, is that, I mean, how um, how sort of rooted in science, in, in your opinion anyway, or in your experience is that? Because I, I know of that just from movies. I don't, I didn't know, I don't know how, how well it works. Um, I think it works pretty well. Uh, it, um, you know, the only reason why I was only able to get a partial plate is because um, under hypnosis, the plate was extremely dirty. 
So I, I was able to distinguish that. Um, it's an interesting thought, isn't it? Because I guess all of our memories are, are there, but we can't always access them. And so what you were able to see memories that you hadn't previously uncovered, but almost like, like watching a film in your mind. Yeah, pretty much. Oh. I don't really remember the whole hypnosis session. Um, I, I, was, I was under pretty good, so I don't remember it. Um, they videotaped it. I suppose you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to watch that that back because it's like when people wake up from uh anesthetics and you know they say yeah. things i've heard you say that you um you screamed so loud and i don't know this this is just a metaphor that you broke blood vessels in your eyes i did <gasps> i did i had <laughs> i had red red blood vessels uh um my eyes were bloodshot for quite a while because i did scream so loud that i i popped little blood vessels in my eyes oh my yeah. god so so we've, we've talked about memory and um hypnosis of course is it painful to look back on that night was that something you you wanted to avoid at first for some time um yeah i guess a little bit um you know i when i was released from the hospital it was uh i wasn't offered counseling or anything like that it was um you know you're all better now physically you've healed and we hope you have a great life you know and then i was released from the hospital so for like 20 years i didn't receive any counseling and um i would i mean i i did suffer a lot of ptsd over the 20 years i still do um, but it was 20 years after my attack that I was actually diagnosed with the PTSD. Um, but I, I went through a lot of nightmares, uh, especially right after my attack when I first got home. Um, the nightmares were pretty bad. Um, but I mean, as far as talking about it, I talked about it a lot with the, the detectives and, and law enforcement about what happened. And um, when I went in and was hypnotized, I was I talked a lot with um, John Philpin. He was the, the criminal profiler of the Connecticut River Valley cases. And I talked to him a lot about how I felt and, and uh, you know, what I was going through, so. Yeah, so did you, you sort of got used to it to an ex extent talking about it? I think I kind of people really didn't want to talk to me about it, or if they did, they were afraid to ask me or or talk to me about it. So it's like I wasn't talked about a lot. Um, it was like, and then in two thousand, it was like two thousand ten, is when um, I started I started counseling. And that's when I was diagnosed, clinically diagnosed with PTSD, because I really didn't even know that I had PTSD. Um, it was uh, my counselor. Uh, she she's she was like, I want I want to clinically diagnose you with PTSD, and and I was like, no. So they they only um, you know veterans or of foreign wars or somebody that's fought in combat or 
or somebody like that has PTSD. I, I don't have PTSD, which I really didn't know much about it. So I don't know why I was so, you know, so uh, against being diagnosed with it. And uh, she went over the computer and she printed out a bunch of the symptoms of PTSD. And she gave me the piece of paper and she said, you go home and you look at these. And you, uh, you tell me what you think next week. So uh, I had it in my pocketbook for a couple of days and I, I took it out and I, I'm reading all the symptoms that she had on there and I'm thinking to myself, holy crap. I have PTSD. And, uh, what kind of thing? Oh, anger and survival, um, survivor guilt and anxiety and nightmares and, uh, um, flashbacks. And what is survivor uh, guilt? Survivor guilt, oh, is a very, very real thing. Um, Survivor guilt, uh, for me, I felt an extreme amount of guilt um, for surviving because the other victims didn't survive. Um, you know, there were there were what seven seven other women that that were um, killed by the serial killer. And I was the only one that survived. So I felt a lot of guilt about that. I felt a lot of guilt because their family didn't have their loved one anymore. And, you know, my family did and I had family. So I felt a lot of guilt with that. It's, it's, um, it, it's almost as if, um, I'm trying to think of a really good example. Um, I also felt like I let the families down because so many years have gone by that we weren't able to identify who attacked me. And it, it, had I been able to identify who attacked me, it would have given them a lot of answers. And I felt like I wasn't able to give them answers. And I felt guilty about that. Yeah. I understand that. Would you have felt better as well? Would it have given you some closure to, to have found this person? Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Do you, do you think he was a... Yeah. I mean, presumably this was a... I know they're just names that we throw out and stuff, but presumably this was a psychopath or a sociopath or something. And we don't... We, I guess we don't know. We have no idea why he would do this kind of thing to people. No. That would be one of my first questions, uh, if if we could ever identify him and and uh, arrest him and charge him, it would be why, why, how how can you brutally kill so many women in such a brutal way and, and attack me and stab me the way you did, and then just walk away and not even. I mean, he obviously left me for dead and, and just not even think about it. Just, you know, what kind of, I don't even call him a human being. It's what kind of monster is that? You know, that's what he is. He's a monster to me.
strange, I guess, to me hearing this is like he did all this sort of weird uh, asking if about the phone and then he was going to, oh, it's the wrong car and walking away. Do you ever sort of speculate about what was going through his mind? Was he having second thoughts or or something? No, I think he was trying to distract me. Hmm. Um, that is my thought anyways. I think he was trying to, uh, you know, distract me. I, I, you know, I really don't know. I, 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 sometimes I think, okay, he did that to distract me. Um, sometimes I think, okay, maybe he did miss, you know, maybe he realized that I wasn't the one he was looking for and he was going to leave and, and, and walk away. Or I also believe too, is he didn't expect me to fight the way I did. So he knew that he was going to have a hard time getting me to go with him because all the other victims went with him. Um, one way or another, they, they ended up going with him. And I don't think he expected me to fight the way I did. And, and he was just going to walk away. And then I think he realized, oh, wait a minute, she can identify me. She can identify my vehicle. Um, and that's when he turned back around and, and decided to start, yeah. to start stabbing me. It sounds, it sounds like he was going to do that regardless of what you had said or, or whatever. Where, where did he take yeah. uh, these other victims with him? What, what, where, yeah, where were they? Was it in the car? Was there a place, a hideaway? Uh, it was mostly, um, you know, wooded areas. Um, actually, they were all wooded areas. They were um, off back roads. Uh, some of them were off dirt roads. Um, some of them were along a river. Um, yeah. Mm. Pretty, when, you, uh, when you talk about your, the nightmares that you had, is that the kind of thing that would crop up in them? Yeah. Yeah. Some of the nightmares that I would have, I, I don't really remember a lot of the nightmares. Um, I know I was having the nightmares because my husband would have to wake me up. Um, and I would just wake up wet and sweaty and crying. And and it was, um, I know most of my nightmares were um, him chasing me. Um, they, were, they were mostly him, me running from him and him chasing me. So, yeah. I hate that. I hate this man. I, I, and I know that that sounds <laughs> under. Stated. And it is understated. There's a lot more, I would say. It just makes me so angry thinking about it. And it's so sad what we, I guess only a small minority of us, but what we do to each other uh, sometimes. And as you're explaining, it goes beyond the crime in the moment because it's affected your entire life, PTSD and all these kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, I mean, how are you? How are you now? I'm really good. I'm really good now. Um, you know, I, I'm a Grammy now, my my daughter, uh, because I survived, my daughter survived. And because my daughter survived, I'm blessed with a granddaughter. Um, I, I, you know, in 2010, I hit rock bottom. 
I, um, I had a very serious gambling problem. I uh, had not received counseling then. I uh, missed a lot of bad, bad choices in my life, which I take full responsibility for. Um, I uh, ended up going to jail. And that's when I ended up, that's when I started my counseling. And uh, I was really, really lucky to get some really great counseling for my PTSD. I mean, I did seven years of counseling. And so it was, um, you know, I had to literally strip myself naked and address every single one of my symptoms, understand the symptom, understand when I was going to have the symptom, the triggers I, I was having with the symptoms, and I had to rebuild myself back up. I, I you know, it took seven years, but I, I finally became the person I've wanted to be for so long. And um, I'm a stronger person. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a survivor. You know, for a long time, I did not consider myself a survivor. I was a victim. And uh, today, I'm a very strong uh vocal survivor um do you think of of that night as like a, a sliding a sliding doors moment uh you know all the gambling problems or and going to jail and all these kind of issues and it might have been a totally different life if not or, or was that something you know inherent in you that might have that lay dormant and could have woken up at some point anyway oh no i i believe my attack had everything to do with it uh, I, after my attack, I turned into a completely different person. Before my attack, I was a trusting person. I was a good person. I was, uh, you know, free-spirited. I, um, you know, I, I just was, I, I lived, I lived life one day at a time. I didn't, you know, there was, uh, I had no plan, but I didn't care about having a plan. You know, I was going to be a mom. I was excited about being a mom. Um, you know, I, I was, uh, you know, I was young. Um, after my attack, I changed. I kind of kept to myself. I mean, I was a very social person before my attack. After my attack, I kind of kept to myself and... Um, became a very private person and I wasn't very trusting at all. And I was paranoid of a lot of things around me and paranoid about people. And I was scared all the time. I was afraid all the time. So, you know, my attack changed who I was before my attack. But then once I started my counseling I, I totally became another different person. Um, I'm more confident. I'm more happy. I'm not so. Um, uh, I'm not so afraid all the time. I'm not paranoid all the time. I make better choices in my life. Um, I'm just such a. Uh, uh, I'm not an angry person anymore. I, I'm. I, I just. Uh, I'm a very different person now, and um, my life is very different. Um, you know, that's great to hear. 
did you what did you catch of of this man? I gather he was white, and what sort of age and and look of this of this person? He was like in his middle thirties, um, slender, slender face. Um, his hair was slicked back, uh, kind of a lightish brownish hair. Um, quiet mannered, very calm. Um, uh, it's about, you know, he was, you know, white. It was dark. It was at night. So I can't really say too, too much about, you know, more specific. I mean, I was 22 too at the time. I was 22 at the time. So I, you know, I, I don't know how to get more specific about, about what he looked like. Um, he drove a, what we believe was a middle, 80s, 84, 85, 86, Jeep Wagoneer type vehicle, um, four wheel drive, um, possibly wood grain siding. It's interesting that you um, describe him as calm, given what he did, because we, you know, one might imagine him as the opposite of that, and I guess that's yeah. it. Stands out. It's even scarier because I'm thinking of like a Hannibal Lecter figure. Yeah. Um. To me, it was very evident that that was not the first time he's done something like that. Um, he was. He was so calm. He was like, he, I, I didn't see any adrenaline running through him. You know, it's he wasn't excited about anything or or yelling or screaming or carrying on or or anything like that. He was just so so calm. I. That's one thing I can remember about him. Oh, that's like, yeah. uh, you know, again, I'm not uh, a clinician. I know it annoys people when people clinically diagnose from afar when, you know, firstly, it's from afar. And secondly, they're just a, a stupid podcaster. But that sounds to me like textbook psychopathy, you know, just that yeah. no excitement, no anything. And as you say, he just gets into his car and drives off and then it's on to the next next victim, the next thing. Yeah, it was like he was there to to. He had a purpose to be there. He had a reason to be there. He wanted to accomplish something. He accomplished it and left. Do, do you feel very certain he's the same one that, that killed all those other people? I believe at least two or three of them, yes. Um, possibly all of them, but definitely a connection with at least three of them. Yep. You say your your you were, your child was able to be born and and without without difficulties or or, or anything given the attack. Yeah, I did. Um, I almost lost her. She um, she was born without a blood pressure, so she was um she was on a ventilator for about three weeks. She had to fight for her life for three weeks, um, and she's got she has mild cerebral palsy. But it doesn't, I mean, she's very high-functional uh, person with mild uh, cerebral palsy. It's mostly um, neurological. Um, but, I mean, she's, she's a great mom. Um, she's, you know, she's my best friend. She's, you know, she's my ride or die. We do everything together. And, uh, yeah. Does she make you proud? Yeah. Oh, she makes me very proud. Oh, jeez. Yep.
Yeah. I mean, she has struggles. She struggled in school a lot. Um, and like her, her senior, this is an example of how proud I am of her. Her senior year, she was getting ready for her senior year to graduate. And um, so we went in for a meeting because she was she had uh, an IEP for for uh, special eds, and uh, we went in for her meeting. And um, they told her they said, "Well, you know, we're, you're going to graduate, but we're going to give you a, a piece of paper that says you completed 12 years of schooling. Um, you don't have enough credits to." actually graduate with a diploma but that's okay we're going to give you this paper that says you you completed 12 years of schooling and she just looked at them and she was like no way nope she's like i was in this school for 12 years i am graduating with my high school diploma and you know her whole senior year she didn't have friends to hang out with she didn't do the parties she didn't go anywhere she was strictly school. She was strictly trying to make up for those credits, get those credits that she needed to graduate, to, to get her high school diploma. And God damn it, when she walked across that stage the day of her graduation, they handed her a high school diploma, not a, not a paper stating that she completed 12 years of schooling. She got her high school diploma and she earned it. And I don't think I had ever been more proud of her than that day. Because oh, I know, thing. I know that she worked hard. The, her whole senior year, she worked hard to to get that diploma. And um, you know, she encourages me all the time. When I think of that, I think, okay, if she, I I saw how hard she worked her senior year for that. If she could do that, then I can put, I can do anything I put my mind to. And um, she's a, she taught me that. She taught me that. That's really beautiful. Well, well, you know, tell her, I, I feel uh, vicariously proud through through you as well. Mm. It's, it's What a fantastic story because what happened to you, I guess, really puts things in perspective and, you know, it really sort of purifies those moments of life that bring you joy. Um, tell me a little bit about um, Invisible Tears. So this is your podcast. And so you're, uh, I, I, you know, you, you, you discuss on there, I gather, uh, some of the mysteries around the Connecticut uh, Valley, River Valley killer, right? Yeah. Well, that, and then again, my, my daughter is, uh, is uh, very much... Um, responsible for us um uh doing invisible tears podcast uh it was the pandemic she was we were in lockdown she's like let's listen to some podcasting and uh she punched in my name and we heard a couple of podcasts telling my story and that's funny my daughter was like yeah my daughter was like oh my god mom they don't even tell half the story none of you know, it's not all wow. accurate. And she's like, you need to do a podcast. You need to do a podcast and tell your story in your words. And uh, I said, I, I don't even know where to begin because I, I don't do all this tech stuff very well. And she said, uh, get a hold of Drew and Amanda. And um, 
they, uh, they, Drew's been a good friend of mine for years and I got a hold of them and they were like, Hey, let's do it. And, um, so we created a invisible tears podcasting and, uh, I tell my story. I tell my story. I don't hold anything back. I, I'm an open book. And, um, I talk a lot about the other women that were killed and, um, We've had um, the criminal profiler, uh, John Philpin, on, and we just finished season one, and we've just started season two. And um, we're going to, we touch on mental health. Um, Amanda, that's my co-host, she's also my life coach. So we we talk a lot about mental health and PTSD, and, uh, and then we talk about cold cases, because... I want people to realize, too, um, all these women that were murdered in the Connecticut River Valley cases, these are unsolved. Um, th- there's, there's been no, no arrest. And um, I, I feel like the more we talk about the Connecticut River Valley killings, the more we can get, you know, two people and, and maybe somebody will come forward and and remember something or say something, or if they know something, will, you know, um, come forward and say, you know, contact the authorities and say, okay, you know, it's been 30 years and, you know, I know this. So um, we're also touching on uh, a lot of the other old cases or unsolved cases in New Hampshire. We're going to eventually, you know, touch on more cases in New in New England. Um, you know, I've been, I've been, uh, uh, really involved with a lot of these, um, unsolved cases with the families. Uh, Trish Haynes, uh, she was murdered in New Hampshire and, um, they know who did it, but, um, they've never been arrested for her murder. I, I just, did a, I went to her rally. Her family had a rally in Concord, New Hampshire this past summer. And so we went to that to support the family. So, you know, I'm trying to, um, um, you know, support families and, and, and try to be advocate, a good advocate for, um, you know, victims that don't have voices anymore. Well, I think you're doing a, a wonderful job, Jane. And, and I would encourage anyone listening if you want to know more about this this story and about as as jane says you know mental health in general and other other crimes and things like that go check out invisible tears podcast it's available in all the typical normal places on youtube as well and yeah jane thank you so much for for being on the edge thank you so much for having me can i just do one more thing i just would like to say the names of the victims of the Connecticut River Valley Please. murders. Um, there's Kathy Milligan. There's uh, Elizabeth Critchley, Eva Morse, Ellen Freed, uh, Linda Moore, Bernice Cordemash, um, and Barbara Agnew. Um, they're one of the main reasons why I'm doing Invisible Tears too. Uh, I'm trying to be their voice. Uh, they were brutally murdered, brutally stabbed, and their families um, need answers, and, and they need justice. So hopefully um, people will come forward, and uh, don't forget, you know, 
These are un unsolved cases. Thank you, Jane Borowski, for coming on, for sharing your story, for being so courageous to share it in such depth and in such detail. It was really fascinating to speak with her, and I hope that you guys got a lot from that as well. Truly remarkable person and a truly remarkable story. If you want to find out more about the case, go to Invisible Tears Podcast with Jane Borowski, wherever you get your podcasts. It's also on YouTube. There's a link in the what do you call it the description thing of my podcast and also a link to my patreon that's patreon.com slash andrew gold where if you get in before the first of february you can get in and lock in uh the lower price before that goes up and saturdays from from next week well from the week after next onwards are going to be behind that paywall don't worry mondays and thursdays the, the big meaty stuff is staying here if you can't afford to do the patreon stuff do do not worry uh it's still kicking off it's still all happening and thank you all so much for your support uh, and understanding with everything coming up helen lewis on the gurus of the internet that's going to be good um i've actually already done it and already interviewed her and she's amazing so that went really well so i hope you enjoy that one and then i talked to god on saturday for the last saturday episode uh that's that's not behind the paywall see you then Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose. At GCU. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu.